read the Bible today. Second uh, Peter, the letter of Second Peter. We start a new uh, preaching series today in this uh, in this letter, a very short series of four weeks. And uh, trust that God is going to use this as a time of rich blessing and encouragement to us, and also a challenging time too. You can also follow along with me on the screen behind me for uh, if you don't have a, uh, a Bible handy. The second Peter chapter 1, and we're reading from verses 1 through to 15. It reads, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir, up, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come now before you with hearts in a posture of submission. knowing, Lord, that you are God and we are not. Knowing, Lord, that your word is life. Hear what you would say to us today, but not just hear it, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives and change us to be more like Jesus. Matthew 10, Jesus speaks to his disciples 
about the persecution that they will face as his followers. And he does this because he wants to prepare them. He wants to give them an understanding of what is to come so they will know that when it happens that Jesus already knew what was to take place and he has given them instructions as to how to stand firm in that. Jesus speaks to his, his disciples about the fact that they will be delivered over to the courts, put on trial for their faith. They'll be handed over to governors and kings. They'll be even put to death. It speaks also of conflict that will happen within families because some will follow the Lord Jesus Christ and others will, won't and there'll be co the conflict that, that brings that about or that, bring, that comes as a result of that. And really when it comes down to it, you'll be hated by all. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? You'll be hated by all. But then Jesus says these words. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But to the one who endures to the end, they will be saved. Theologians and commentators have debated over the years as to what those words actually mean and whether you fall into a particular theological uh, group such as an Arminian kind of uh, perspective or a Calvinistic type kind of perspective. I think ultimately what these words mean is this, is that Jesus is saying, you know, the true genuineness of a person's faith will actually be proved true by the fact that they will indeed remain loyal and faithful to Jesus right to the very end of their lives through all kinds of of persecution and hardship through all kinds of challenges through whatever life throws at us the person of true and genuine faith will stay true hence the title of our preaching series over the next four weeks staying the course staying true to that which God has called us to as his children See, true disciples of Jesus will have what is some people uh, today in a kind of uh, probably a little bit of a postmodern language have called having a forever faith. Having a forever faith. That they will grow spiritually. Yep, there'll be ups and downs and there'll be setbacks. But really the trajectory of their spiritual life will be one which is generally upward towards Christ, growing in him and growing like him. There will be people who bear spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God. They will develop in spiritual maturity. In other words, I'd love this, uh, this um, uh, kind of description of what it means to grow to spiritual maturity that I found this, this last few weeks. It says, people who are prepared to make costly decisions in order to follow Jesus faithfully. People who grow in their love for God.
I wonder. Come to this passage in 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 Second Peter chapter one this morning. The writer, the apostle Peter, is is coming to the end of his life. We see that in verse fourteen. He says, "For I know that the putting off of my body is going to be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me." Knows that days are numbered, and because he knows that his days are numbered, before he dies. He wants to encourage his readers to build their lives with God and around God. In other words, to build a faith that's actually going to last. A faith that's actually going to stand the tests of, of, of the perseverance and the hardships and the things that, that will come upon them. He wants his children in the Lord, in the faith, to stay the course with Jesus and he wants them to know in their own experience the richness and the rewards of building such a life of faith and of remaining steadfast in it to not be led astray and I think today this is so relevant where we see it in a, in a culture such as ours where you know, we've got so much, we've, 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 we've blessed in so many different ways, it is just so easy just to go through the motions in terms of Christianity. And at the moment, yes, you know, the church, the, 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 the world is growing more and more opposed to the church and the, the, the secular thinking is growing more opposed to the church and to God and his people. really in terms of the context that the 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 christians over the years have faced in terms of the persecution and even in countries today where they are actually being thrown in jail and 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 killed for their faith you know we at the moment we've got it pretty easy haven't we we've still got it pretty easy and yet what we see today in the christian church is Streams and streams of people who are, no, who, are, who are moving away from belief in God. Even in our own church over these last several years, in fact, over the time that I've been here, I've seen people come and go. And a number of those people who have not continued on in their following faithfully with Jesus Christ. And that should break our hearts as it breaks the heart of the Apostle Peter, and most importantly, as it breaks the heart of God. Are you building in your life a forever faith, a faith that will last, a faith that can, that can stand the tests that will bring, that we brought to bear upon you? whether through hardship or persecution, whether through you know, challenges in our life, whether they be health challenges and things like that. Are you building that forever faith, that faith that is so precious that will endure even the most challenging of trials? But beyond that, a faith that shines out so radiantly 
to those around about us that cannot help point people to the truth and the reality and the glory of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. This opening section of the letter, Peter seeks to, to, to point out four essential things that will help us to build a faith that will last. He speaks firstly about having, firstly, our faith which is built on the right foundation. We'll see that in verses 1 and 2 of our passage this morning. Secondly, he points out the need to diligently work at growing our faith. And we'll see that in verses 3 to 9. And then in verses 10 to 11, he speaks of the blessings that that faith actually brings us. And then finally, in verses 12 to 15, he speaks about the importance of not only having that kind of faith ourselves, but of seeing that built up in those around about us, of building that faith in others. So we're going to follow our way through and, and according to, uh, to that structure. And so we're going to begin with the first couple of verses this morning that Peter wants us to have the right foundation. Our faith needs to be firstly built on, the, on that which is, which is true. And the first thing to note is that faith, our faith, is a gift from God. That when it comes to having the right, the right foundation, we need to make sure that we understand that our faith is God's precious gift to us and is secured purely on the basis of his righteousness that has been displayed to us through Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 1. Peter, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained or received a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. In other words, that faith, uh, that is a, a Christian's power, if you like, to, to believe the gospel for salvation, for our salvation, is not secured by our own merits. It is not secured by our own merits, but only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, is not of our own doing, but it is the gift of God. Not by works, not by our own works. Works so that anyone might boast. For our only boast is in Jesus. And we receive eternal life purely on the basis that Christ himself having paid the penalty for our sin through his death and resurrection, imputes then his righteousness to us by faith. And I love that demonstration you did this morning, Janine. That just so wonderfully showed the gospel in the most simplest but the most profound of ways of the book. Jesus has paid for our sin and instead in place gives us his righteousness. Covers our sins, takes them away and makes us acceptable to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the basis of faith. 
That has got to be the foundation of our faith in Jesus. That it is a purely a gift of God. That he has done all that is necessary and our only response is to come in, in, in an attitude of submission, surrender and faith and trust in him. Repenting of our sin. Recognising our need for him as saviour. And then living in the light of that. This can only happen by a work of the Holy Spirit. And again, we see that this is purely a work of God, for it is the Holy Spirit who is able to awaken a person's dead soul in response to hearing the gospel. And then to help us to, play, to take those first steps of faith in Jesus Christ. John 6, 44 says that no one can come to me. Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus says to those around him, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And again in Acts 16, 14, we read the Apostle Paul, an encounter that he had with a woman called Lydia, and it said, one who heard us as they were proclaiming the gospel, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. come to that point of, of recognising your need for him as saviour and repenting of your sin accepting his free offer of forgiveness and salvation in his name folks that has that is a miracle that is testimony to the work of the power of God in your life testimony to God's love for us in that he would do that, that he would seek to shine his face upon us and reach out to us in our deepest need in order to help us to know the truth and to receive his forgiveness. That's the kind of God we have. You know, all the other gods of this world today, it's all about us trying to work our way up to please them, to satisfy them, to earn their favour and that sort of stuff. It's all man, it's all man has, to, has, has to make all the effort and do it all himself. But we can never ever be sure whether we've actually, you know, got to that point where we are acceptable. But God, in his mercy has reached down to us in our need and has worked a miracle in our lives to help us to understand the gospel and to respond to it in faith. That itself just should blow our minds. And that is the, the reason why our God, the one true God, is set apart from any other gods of this world today. That he is completely different would seek after us in order to have a relationship with us and to pour out his blessing on our lives. Peter goes on to say then, you know, when we come to that point that we all then participate in a salvation that is of equal value even to that of the apostles. 
Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with our, with equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and of our Saviour Jesus. We have the same spiritual privileges in salvation as any other follower of God. Galatians 3.28 says this, there is, in, in, this, in terms of salvation, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we all experience the same blessings in our salvation as any other person does, even the great apostles of the faith. And having received this faith, Peter goes on to say that we now live in the realm of grace and peace. In verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 1-2 reminds us this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And because of that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But do you notice in this, in this verse how we, how we access or tap into this grace? It is through knowledge of God in the knowledge of God and of, his, and, of, and of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord in verse 2. Knowledge. Peter uses this term knowledge five times in these opening eight verses. So I reckon if Peter's going to be mentioning that word five times in eight verses, that there is a, a fair bit of significance or importance that he places on that. And what he's saying is this, is that faith, or our faith, is not some airy-fairy, touchy-feely touchy kind of thing. That's not what faith is at all. But he's saying here that faith, a real faith, is grounded in an objective knowledge of God as he has revealed through his word to us. And we get to know God more, and we get to experience that grace and that peace more, and we get to grow in our faith more as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and of his word to us. It's as simple as that. So if that's how we grow and that's how we experience these things, how God has sort of you know, um, designed it for us to know him in that way, then shouldn't that then impress upon us the importance of being in the word of God yet sadly sadly very very few Christians today will even open this during the week let alone on a Sunday can we expect to grow if we're not being nurtured and nourished you know we feed our bodies with food in order to grow and nourish you know and without food we see a, a person starve we've seen the, the pictures of people who are starving to death in different countries from from lack of food and nutrition in their lives 
and we see the state of them and we see how sad and how terrible and how tragic that is. And yet for a person of faith who does not spend time in this word, that's how we look spiritually. And we should have the same kind of response as we would to a child who is malnourished in terms of a Christian who is himself spiritually malnourished. We cannot expect to know God and grow in our faith and have that grace and peace multiplied to us if we are not spending time in the word of God. So we need to have our foundations right. We need to have those foundations right. The second thing Peter goes on to say is this, is that having the foundations right, we also need then to make every effort to grow in our faith. Our salvation and our faith is both a work of God, but it is also us who has to apply ourselves and put in work as well. Not to earn our salvation, but to grow in our salvation. First thing Peter makes clear after speaking of, the, of our foundation of faith is the fact that God gives us all that we need to grow in it. Do you see that in verse 3? It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Peter makes clear that God has given us all that we need to grow in our lives of faith, to grow godly lives. Through his divine power, he gives to each and every believer all of the spiritual resources needed to sufficiently meet all of life's demands. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. Paul writes, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work when it comes to your faith. And in Philippians 4.19, a very familiar verse to many of us, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, God's supply of spiritual power for believers never fails and never comes up short. It never fails and it never comes up short. It never, ever disappoints us. And yes, we, we may distance ourselves from God due to our sin and our lack of faith and belief, but that does not negate the fact that God has provided us with all that we need for growing in holiness and godliness. And again, do you see that Peter says that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us. Here we go, back to that knowledge again. We access these resources through our knowledge of him and his promises. And where do we find that knowledge and those promises? Back in the word of God. I love Many, you know, I love the promises of God that we find littered throughout the scriptures. And Peter refers to these promises being precious and great. He says that, you know, we've been called 
you know, we've been given the, all the resources for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and, ex and, and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. That through them we might become partakers of the divine glory. These promises are said are found all through scripture. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is one of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What about Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31? But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What about Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and to grow you, you know, to give you this wonderful, this wonderful life of blessing with me. Just trust. I know the plans I have for you. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your weary souls. There's a weary soul. Passages in Romans 8. Romans 8 is just littered with all of these incredible promises of God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the, from the law of death, of sin and death. The resurrection life that, that Jesus speaks of in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall Never die. Ephesians 1.13 speaks of God's indwelling spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And of course promises, you know, right through scripture that refer to strength and guidance and help and wisdom and eternal rewards. All of these promises, I encourage you to go into the scriptures this week and start searching out those very promises for yourself. And then use it as an opportunity to praise God and celebrate the life that he has given you in Christ Jesus. It'll give you a whole new perspective. And of course, one of the great promises that Peter points to here is that, that, that we will become partakers of the, very, of the divine nature. Speaking of the fact that we will be like Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes in all his glory, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will become partakers of the divine nature, experiencing all the fullness of our salvation in Jesus. 
course, these promises also relate to that which we will not partake in. Peter goes on to talk about the fact that we will will have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, we've been rescued from the power and the ultimate effects of sin in our lives. And the fact that we've received all this from God should then lead us then to live in light of all that, to live in the hope and the knowledge of that, of who we are in Christ and all that God has done for us. And we see that Peter goes into that in verses 5 through to 7, and he lists seven qualities that we should seek to nurture in our lives as followers of God. Remember that God will give us the the ability and the strength and the spiritual resources to do that, but we need to be disciplined and we need to to exercise this this diligence on our part in growing in these these things. Because spiritual growth involves the development of Christian character and graces. And Peter identifies several here in this passage. We're going to look very, very quickly at, at each of them. And the first one he speaks of is virtue. And virtue, he speaks of here, is, is this moral excellence or goodness or Christ-likeness, if you like. We are to grow in Christ-likeness and our lives should actually reflect something of that attractive character of Christ. We are to grow in virtue and then to, and then to virtue we are to add knowledge. Here is that word again, Knowledge. It means having that correct understanding, that correct insight or practical wisdom that enables us to distinguish between what God wants for us and what our own desires would rather lead us away to and the way the world would lead us away to. To have that understanding, that insight into knowing these things and then to walking in the way that God calls us to walk. To have that knowledge, to know God's ways. The third one he says is self-control. It means to have a self-discipline to control our sinful passions and desires. And we now have been given the ability to do that through the indwelling spirit. It allows us or helps us, he helps us, to say no to those things which which are opposed to God in his ways, those sinful desires that wage war in our bodies. We are no longer slaves to these things but we are slaves been made slaves to righteousness Paul speaks about in Romans 6 of course this carries with it this self-control it carries with it the idea of a submission to the Holy Spirit in our lives as Galatians 5 16 reminds us Paul says but I say walk by the Spirit and if you walk by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and exercise self-control. The next one is perseverance, which speaks about bearing up under trials and not giving up. This is not about that kind of stoic kind of you know response, that stiff upper lip kind of thing. But it, but what it does is it's, it's, it's something that springs up from the promises of God in terms of our faith, or it springs. I should say it springs from a faith in God and in his promises. It's, it's, a, it's a belief and a trust in God and his promises. It's a deepened awareness of God's f- loving and wise hand that is in control of our lives. And that helps us to endure. In this, you know, over the last few weeks in 1 Peter, how God uses these trials as a means 
of testing us in terms of our faith, of confirming us in our faith, and of, of developing and refining that faith in us. Peter then also speaks of godliness, which refers to a sincere devotion to God. You know, having that right reverence towards God. Recognising his holiness. Properly honour and adore him. And to, and to godliness we are to add brotherly kindness, meaning having a genuine love towards particularly other believers, but of course to all our neighbours. Jesus says, you, people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another, in John 13, 35. And then love right at the end, which is the crowning grace, means that active goodwill to those around about us, wanting their very best. And we see how, you know, that kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13. Peter goes on to say that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, see that in verse 8? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves the question then. First of all, are these qualities present within us? Can we actually identify these particular qualities in our lives today? As we go about living our lives, do we see evidence of these particular qualities in us? But not only do we see evidence of them, do we actually see an increasing uh, nature to those, those graces within us? Do we see them growing and getting stronger in us? That's a challenging question, isn't it? Do we see them and do we see them? Do we see these things growing within us? Because true spiritual growth insists that they are present and they will be growing. And Peter says if they're present and increasing, then we can be assured that we will neither be spiritually useless nor unfruitful. Last thing I think any of us would want to be called. is those spiritually useless and unfruitful in our lives for God. Of course, fruitfulness brings to mind John 15 where Jesus says that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying that he is the key to spiritual growth, remaining connected to him, growing in our knowledge and understanding of him. Of course, for the person who, who, whose life fails to exhibit these qualities, Peter goes on to say that they are nearsighted. In other words, they are blind to the reality of their spiritual position in Christ and of the purpose that God has called them to in their lives and therefore they will continue to live unproductive and unfruitful lives for God. been talking about as elders just recently about as a church here we need to know what our mission is we need to be very very clear what our mission is and our mission is simply this 
we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptising in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, knowing that Jesus will be with us to the very end of the age. Our purpose is to make disciples. In other words, we are to be disciples ourselves and we are to be about making disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think in some ways, folks, we've lost sight of that. And we've been content just to, ba- just to go through the motions in many ways as a church of just coming under the moniker of the, the, the word Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But if we are indeed true Christians, then we will be people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. The church needs less Christians and more disciples. And so we need to have the same expectations on ourselves that God has for us, and that is to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to grow in our discipleship, to grow in spiritual maturity in our faith. And so we need to start working more and more on the culture of our church that there is an expectation that we will indeed be disciples who are going to be working towards that spiritual maturity in Jesus and helping others to know Jesus Christ and themselves to be nurtured and made, you know, and, and, and nurtured through that discipleship process as well. I do not want to stand before the Lord Jesus the day when He comes in all His glory. had all this stuff available to you all of these resources available to you all of the blessings that I secured for you through my death and through my resurrection for you to lose sight of the riches in that and go after that which is of little and no worth Stand before Jesus and not hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We have a mission and we need to be about that mission. We need to be serious about that mission and we need to be committed to it. We need to be exercising all of our efforts and energies in order to be able to be about that mission of making disciples for Jesus Christ. And that doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't mean just running a whole heap of programs, but it actually means holding one another accountable for our walks, our spiritual walks. And when a brother and sister we see is struggling in their faith, not judging them for it, but, but drawing alongside them and getting alongside them and say, you know what, let's walk this journey together. And let's help, let's help each other grow in that spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ.
Peter goes on to speak about the blessings that this kind of faith brings in verses 10 to 11. He says, in practicing and growing in these qualities, it can lead us to have an even greater assurance of our salvation. You see that in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our, of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Peter says, you know, if this kind of stuff is evident in you, if you, you can see that spiritual growth that is happening in you, it gives you that greater assurance of knowing that you belong to God. But not only that, it also confirms and gives us a, a greater confidence and hope in our, of our place in God's eternal kingdom. Know that one day we will be with him and experience all of the blessings. Of this marathon runner who, you know, marathons 42 kilometres and, uh, you know, that's, that's an incredibly long way. I don't, drive that, I don't drive that far many times, let alone run it. 42 kilometres. But of the marathon runner who just basically endures through... And if you know anything about marathon running, I, don't, I know very little. I know that there's a, there's a point in, the, in that run where all of a sudden they're, they're not only just at war with the, with, the, with, the, with the distance, but they're at war with their own bodies. Their own bodies are saying, no, you cannot go any further. And there's this, this mind kind of battle that goes on and they keep, in, they keep going and going. And the thing that keeps them going is reaching that finish line and of, of being lavishly you know, um, accepted and, and welcomed at that finish line by the waiting crowds. And that's the image that we so often see through scripture of the person who continues to endure, who will be lavishly welcomed there at the end by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And lastly, Peter says, those who have got this kind of faith are, are serious about leaving a lasting legacy of that faith. We see that in verses 12 to 15. See, Peter was most concerned by leaving behind a faithful and rich legacy in the people that he sought to nurture and encourage in their faith. And genuine believers, genuine believers will have that same desire, that we ourselves will want to pass on our faith and help one another to grow in that faith. We should have in our lives... People who invest in us. Kind of like a, a, a Paul-Timothy uh, relationship where we have a Paul who invests in us or several Pauls who invest in us. We also need in our lives a, a Paul and Barnabas kind of relationship where we sort of have that mutual kind of encouragement in our faith. But then we should also have a Timothy in our lives where people whom we are pouring out into and investing in and helping them to grow in their faiths. I challenge each and every one of us to have those relationships, those Paul relationships, those Barnabas relationships, those Timothy relationships. Because there is no greater thing that we can achieve in all of our lives, no greater legacy or accomplishment that we can leave behind than having invested in the lives of others so that they themselves have grown strong and mature in their faith and are passing that same faith on to those around about them. That's the kind of legacy we should be moving towards.
me ask you this. When I was in school, we used to do these science experiments with um, testing whether a liquid was alkaline or acidic. Had this little piece of paper, a little pink piece of paper called litmus paper. Remember that? Any of you folk my age or older? Yeah? Some of you younger ones might have done this at school as well. And you would dip that paper in the, the liquid and if, the, and if it turned blue, you knew that that liquid was then acidic. If it remained pink, it was alkaline, okay? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. it, it was acidic. In the same way, the acid test of the genuineness of our faith is proved through these things we've been speaking of today. If we are people of genuine faith, then we will indeed be people who will make costly changes on the basis of it. Changes that are geared towards spiritual growth. A growth that results in us having the blessings of a life that is useful and fruitful to God in the here and now. It will give us a life where we receive the blessings of an even greater assurance of our salvation. It is a life that will keep us from stumbling and falling away. And in the future, it will be our guaranteed hope of eternal life with Christ. God dips his litmus paper into our life right now. What colour is it going to be? Pink or blue? Is it going to be the real thing? Is it going to be the real deal? Let's make every effort, hey, to grow a forever faith in ourselves and in those lives of those around about us. Father, we've just been challenged from your word about building a forever faith. And we want to thank you first and foremost that you are a God who has sought us out first and foremost. That we haven't done it in of ourselves. We can't earn our salvation. But it is a free gift of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But having received that gift, Lord, will you please help us to grow in it not just to be content with just stagnating, not to be content with just the status quo, not to be content at just going through the motions, but rather be people who are committed to growing in our faith, to become mature followers of Jesus who themselves seek to make more and more disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us help our lives to be fruitful in that way that we might receive all of the wonderful rewards from you in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.